We're all wired into a survival trip now. No more of the speed that fueled the 60s. That was the fatal flaw in Tim Leary's trip. He crashed around America selling consciousness expansion without ever giving a thought to the grim meat hook realities that were lying in wait for all those people who took him seriously. All those pathetically eager acid freaks who thought they could buy peace and understanding for three bucks a hit. But their loss and failure is ours too. What Leary took down with him was the central illusion of a whole lifestyle that he helped create. A generation of permanent cripples, veiled seekers, who never understood the essential old mystic fallacy of the acid culture. The desperate assumption that somebody, or at least some force, is tending the light at the end of the tunnel. opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweighed the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, there is little value in opposing the threat of a closed society by imitating its arbitrary restrictions. Even today, there is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it. And there is very grave danger that an announced need for increased security will be seized upon by those anxious to expand its meaning to the very limits of official censorship and concealment. That I do not intend to permit to the extent that it's in my control. No official of my administration, whether his rank is high or low, civilian or military, should interpret my words here tonight as an excuse to censor the news, to stifle dissent, to cover up our mistakes, or to withhold from the press and the public the facts they deserve to know. there in Marvelland. Face front. This is Stan Lee speaking. Hey, who made you a disc jockey, Lee? Well, well, Jolly Jack Kirby. By the way, Jack, the readers have been complaining about Sue's hairdo again. What am I supposed to do? 
be a hairdresser. Next time I'll draw a bald headed. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bullpen Bulletins podcast, a celebration of all things Marvel. I'm Vince B. Uh, toothbrush, sketchbook, uh, got my deodorant. I'm David Price. If that wasn't a clue as to where David's going tomorrow, uh, we'll let you in on a little secret. David is going to the airport very early tomorrow morning to jump on a plane bound for... Chicago. Chicago. Yes, for the great... And if Chris Neesman was here, he'd tell us the city of broad shoulders, the meat packer. The I mean, you know, you mentioned Chicago, and, and he can just give you every nickname the city has. Chicago is the bomb. <laughs> it really is. Uh, that Last year, I couldn't believe how beautiful that city is. Even, well, we even, saw of it. Yeah, well, even if Brian Salazar lives there, it's still a beautiful city. <laughs> He's not fugly enough to ruin the whole city. But oh, you know, damn. Yeah, sorry. I have to get him in. Uh, Wizard World Chicago, this weekend, David will oh. be there, along with the boys from Around Comics, and Dan C, Man. and Dave Wachter, and Pat Loika, and all our buddies on the forum, and everybody and their grandmother's going to be there, except me mm. yeah yeah it sucks um if you're not a regular visitor to our forum bullpen bulletins podcast.com you don't know why i'm won't be there and i'll just say it's a nasty confluence of weird occurrences and they just so happened to fall on this weekend the one weekend that i actually have a life that i do something other than be daddy daycare but my wife's cousin is getting married and on saturday and it's not just the typical get married on saturday have a good time and then forget you ever went there it's the let's fuck up our relatives weekend kind of deals where they have the rehearsal party on friday night they have the wedding on saturday afternoon then they have this stupid well we have to have a brunch slash breakfast get together for all the idiots that drove a couple hundred miles to come to this thing so it's like this cloud of crap that just descended on my weekend and because my kids aren't invited to the wedding on Saturday, naturally they would need a babysitter. And if my mother wasn't walking around like an extra from a George Romero movie, we would have sorry ma, we, we would we would have a babysitter, but unfortunately, uh, she's invited to the wedding too because it's my wife's family. So everyone I know is going to this damn wedding. And unfortunately, the people we use to babysit our kids are going to Maine this weekend. And there's not a babysitter in the tri-state area that would work on Saturday and Sunday. So I can't go because I'll be watching my kids. Yay. Isn't that fun? You guys. I still say you should pack them in the car and start driving. <laughs> Can you imagine Vinny at a comic convention? That'd be great. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, uh, Marvel Legends, bitch! Ah, uh, shit! I already have this one, but uh, <laughs> no. Uh, you, well, you can hit the trade boxes underneath the dealer tables. <laughs> but we are planning some really cool things for this convention. I am going to try and patch into David's cell phone at various times during the con and get a 
price eye view of what's going on. And if there's anybody of note around him, David's going to try and jump on him and get him on the phone. So you'll probably hear from Chris and Sal and and Tom and Dave and, and all, everybody who's been on our show before and who has their own podcast, now that I think about it, except for Dan. And uh, you know, we'll try and get a little, uh, get you in on the experience. I'm going to live vicariously through David because I really don't have a damn choice. So yeah, that, that's, good. that's the plan. Whether or not we can pull it off, we'll see. Uh, so for this episode, David's going to check in in the beginning, and he's going to go away because he's got to get up early to get on that plane. And I then do. I'm just going to take over solo. I don't know what I'm going to talk about, but I, I think I'll be able to do it. Uh, well, yeah, I think you've been doing a bit of reading. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll be able to come up with something. Yeah, yeah. I have um, the sock puppets ready. Maybe I'll have a little bit of interpretive dance going on. It'll be something. It'll oh, we're going to start the video uh, podcast. Excellent. <laughs> no, no. See, that's the thing. Interpretive dance, but only audio. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah. The, uh, I'll be, you know, naturally I'll be hanging around with with Dan, with Paper Cut, and, and I'll be, you know, checking out the Dial-R booth guys with Dave and Pat and... And the guy's there, and I will be strolling around the floor. I will be stationary for a few hours. Uh, Friday afternoon, I will be at the Hero Initiative booth. And, I, and, and Friday morning, I will be, or Friday afternoon, I'll be there. Uh, Chris is there in the morning, I believe, with, with Dan. Then I come in for a couple hours, and I am manning the booth, or I'm helping to man the booth with, uh, with either Eric or Stevie D from the comic book queers. And on Saturday evening from five to seven, Dan and I will both be at the hero booth. If anybody is there and, and, uh, and wants to say hi, or even check out what the, what hero initiative is, uh, has to show. And I believe the, um, ultimate Spider-Man project will be debuting at wizard world Chicago. It's, it's a $10 book and it has, it contains, I don't know if it has every single cover, that all the creators did for Ultimate Spider-Man 100 because I don't know if it has the Todd McFarlane cover because apparently that was supposed to be the only one that could never be reprinted. Oh, what a loss. You know, and, and out of all the... And big surprise, it's the Todd McFarlane one. But it is the only way for... Because, I mean, these you, we saw these covers in New York. We saw a couple of them at the Hero booth. And they're going for buku bucks on eBay. I mean, they were selling for, I mean, a couple of them were selling for thousands of dollars. So, yeah. uh, but it's the only way you'll be able to get all of the, and there are more than a hundred covers, I believe, because I think a couple of creators did more than one cover. Um, there are probably over 70 creators, I think, in there, maybe over 80. Sounds true. Cool. The only way you can, you'll be able to see all the, all, all the different covers that there were available to the, uh, to this project but i mean i know they'll be they'll be having that for sale i don't know what else they'll have i know you can uh you can play against paul jenkins in pool mm. that's that that's for charity i don't know how good paul jenkins is at playing pool billiards uh see i don't know i think it's actually pool i don't think they're playing billiards oh but you know what i'll call you and tell you there you go I've been, I've been bowling a lot lately. Yes, you have. <laughs> I've heard. The, the, finally, the Monavolia fa uh, family bowling team. Finally got a Wii. But uh, that thing is so cool. I can't get the right hook on the ball yet. But once I do, I'm going to kick their little asses. Really? Yes. But for right now, I'm getting my head handed to me by a six-year-old. Her, <laughs> her average is like 230. Oh, damn. Yeah, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Go ahead. <laughs> as far as the... Um for the convention um i have set up the website 
I can, uh, with my cell phone, which is also my PDA, has a camera built in, I can take pictures and send them to the Bullpen Bulletin's mobile blog. And you can either hit that site at bbmoblog.blogspot.com or you can go directly off our menu and where you have the menu option for our space, the bottom selection says Moblog and that will open up within, within its own page. Which is a great idea. I, I, I'm really impressed with this because not only can we use it for Wizard World, but we can use it at, like, say, you and I go to a comic shop. And, you know, just spur of the moment, drop in on some place, drop some pictures on the mob- mobile blog. Or, say, th- CGS 300. There you go. Look for that. Jump on the, the, the web blog or mobile blog thing and see pictures of Pat doing the patented Loika stare. I love that. When every photo I've ever seen of Pat has that little, that scrunched up face, that's Pat Loika to me. I love and, that. And the shocker. You got to have the, the hand gesture there. <laughs> the shocker. He loves that. <laughs> I know. And, and, and apparently, um, <laughs> the mob gang, which is uh, Mac, Oming, and Bendis, they, um, I think Bendis had an article in Wizard, and the three of them are doing the shocker. So now you have the whole. Now you have the big old, uh, you know, two in the pink, one in the sting hand gesture in in on the pages of Wizard magazine. I, and, I, and the reason they did it is Bendis did not know what it meant. Well, you know, to tell you the truth, I didn't know what it meant either until <laughs> that one issue of Punisher War Journal that Pat said, and he's even doing the shocker. And I said, what the frig is the shocker? I don't know what that is. Hey, I don't get out. You know, I'm, uh, I don't get out like, much. Where, 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 where's that Spider-Man villain? And uh, so now that I know what it means, I'm dying to try it. <laughs> Dude, I don't need to do a spit take on the Mac, man. <laughs> but who are you going to find to do it to? And it will, I guess Pat will be at CGS 300, too. I do believe so. Yeah, so... You're so he can be, try it on you. You're going to be... Uh, okay. <laughs> You'll be getting a mess of Pat Loika soon on, on uh, uh, Pen Bulletins, among other places, the Rcast and Dial R Studios website. And speaking of the Rcast, they recently, uh, Pat, recorded the audio of the Image Founders panel when all seven reunited. Yeah, I wish at, he... Uh, in San Diego. That was the one thing I was like, oh, give that to us, give it to us, but no. That's okay. <laughs> I love image, and that that was yeah a, you do yeah that was a cool little bit of audio. It was, that would probably be the last time you're going to hear them all together because you know Jim Lee's got his little thing going on, and it was neat that it happened. But I think it was a once in a lifetime deal. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, and actually, I was trying to I'm trying to remember about any of the photos that were taken. Um, how far away was Sylvestri from Liefeld? Because I didn't even notice anything like that. Okay. That was- I mean, I don't know if there's still any ill will for that because, I mean, that was the whole reason why uh, shortly after Image started that uh, Sylvestri was going to take Top Cow and go play on her own uh, because of some, uh, I guess, some behind-the-scenes problems that everybody was having. And once, I guess, the rest of the founders decided to um, bid Rob adieu Mark yeah. came back, and everybody was all like, "Well, we don't want to, we don't want to say, you know, what the problem was or why why Mark left." But all of a sudden, like Rob leaves, and now Mark's back, and it's like, yeah, nobody can really figure out what it was that 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 would cause Mark to want to leave. Yeah, and pound for pound, I'm not a huge fan of Silvestri, but I think he's infinitely more capable than Liefeld. 
I think he's a lot more consistent. Yeah. As far as layouts and just sequential ability, I think Silvestri has it over him. Hi, guys. This is Chris Chavez, Equinox on the forums. And uh, there was a request for having voicemails with some uh, specific topic requests. Uh, I'm sure we don't have to cover everything. But anyway, one of the ones I wanted to hit was the defending or not of Michael Golden and, uh, I guess, the problem that he had with sending out a commission request to a fan. You know what, to, to be honest, I don't know one way or another if I could defend or burn Golden at the stake. To be honest, I just got, you know, like my Modern Masters book on Michael Golden in the mail um, yesterday, and I love the guy's art, but just because I love the guy's art doesn't mean that the guy is, you know, the greatest person or, uh, you know, an altruistic person, you know, whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, Comic book artists, they... Their level of professionalism depends, you know, specifically on themselves. There's not any set industry standard saying that they have to have things done in a certain amount of time. If so, I think half the problems that a lot of people bitched about as far as late shipping books, uh, low quality, what have you, I think we'd probably have a lot of that addressed. But when it comes to commission sketches, those are, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, the bottom of the barrel as far as their priority level for the artist because whatever books that they're working on, you know, covers, interiors, you know, editing the books, whatever, those are their top priority. That's the moneymaker that they're getting from the companies and basically what's going to be getting them more business later on down the line. The the bitching and and complaining that a fan may have because they weren't happy with a commission sketch that they asked for or a con sketch or because they had to pay five bucks because, you know, the creator wouldn't sign more than half a book for them, uh, that doesn't affect the uh, the comic creators when it comes down to it with uh, you know Marvel DC um, Top Cow Dark Horse whatever you know it, our complaint doesn't uh, matter to them basically what it, when it comes down to it if the artist you know wants the money needs the money uh, they'll accept commissions they'll get paid for it I I've, I've asked for commissions from other artists haven't had a problem but then again you know what it, it's based on the uh, 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 morals, principles, whatever uh, of the artist. So, is it possible that there was a, an issue or what have you, and and that it was Michael Golden's fault? Yeah, I, I'll agree with you there. Could it have been uh, part of the the fans' fault? You know, unreasonable expectations, um, kind of thinking that well, you spend five dollars, you, you paid it uh, to a comic book art, artist. It's the same uh, type of business deal you'll get if you spent five hundred dollars over at Best Buy um, or um, Circuit City, Costco, whatever. You know, it, it it doesn't match up. You're you're dealing with a person with a person. Yeah, I think you may have to have some flexibility. Nine months worth of flexibility, that I don't know. But then again, I wasn't there for everything. I didn't see every interaction. I don't think anybody on the board saw every interaction. Even the people that say that they got firsthand knowledge from either Golden or from um, the uh, the fan, uh, who I think was posting the information out on the burn boards, um, you know, they're just they're still getting it secondhand um, and relaying it to everybody else. So some of the information could be changed. You know, perspectives, personal attitudes play a part in there. You know, whatever. When it comes down to it, um, you basically whatever deals you work out for commission uh, commissions, uh, I think you really need to make sure that you've got things kind of hammered out from the get go um, in order so you don't feel like you're screwed afterwards. Uh, was the commission worth five hundred dollars? Um, honestly, no, not really. The finest piece of piece of golden's work um i would put it up there with um brian christman's uh brian boland sketch 
uh, as far as, you know, craptastic uh, commission pieces, but, you know, um, you've got a Michael, Go- Michael Golden piece of art, you know, what do you, what do you say? What do you want to do? Don't know. Can't, can't uh, give you any solace here. Can't give you any $500. Although if you can get a $500 piece worth of, uh, of art from John Byrne, more power to you. I'd love to be able to get a $500 piece of art from John Byrne. I'd love to be able to get $500 to spend on a single piece of art on from any artist. Um, no Vince, unfortunately, I'm not going to give you $500 for, you know, modeling, uh, you know, daredevil out of a piece of dookie or something like that. Sorry. Um, but hey, if you can get a, a burn art piece of art out of it, hey, you got you got two pieces for five hundred dollars. You know, call one of them fifty dollars worth of piece of art, and you know another one four hundred fifty dollars, and and call it done. Um, unfortunately, I think it's kind of time to move on. If you want to get your money back from the guy, okay, take him to small claims court. More power to you if you think you need to go to that level. But anyway, that's it um, on that subject. Uh, boards, more Michelle, hell yes. Bring more Michelle back, you know, more than once every, you know, year and a half. I uh, love getting the female perspective on the books. Um, hell, I think she needs to be back on the show again. Frequency of the shows, hell yes. Be more frequent. Get, get you know, daily shows. Re- record it from the crap or record it on the way to work or what have you. Give me more Bullpen Bulletins podcasts. I'd love to hear them. Love to hear the shows. Love to hear everybody's takes. So many people on the boards, I'd love to get their uh, takes uh, during the show. But again, always love sharing opinions with everybody uh, on the boards. Um, shit, what else? What else you want to cover? Um, I'm going broke here, you, you you idiots! You hooked me on DCVS and said, "Oh yeah, I'm going to be saving all this money." Shit, I'm spending all my money on trades, and now I'm running out of bookshelf, and I'm still spending the same amount of money. And as before, I'm getting more books, yes, but I'm out of bookshelf, and I have no time to read all these books. So I'm getting piled under, uh, you know, piles and piles of books or what have you. Uh, but hey, upside. Wife says, let's do San Diego Comic-Con next year. Take him to the boys. Going to have some fun. Anyway, um, that's it. Chris Chavez, Equinox, signing out. Hope everybody has a great time. Look forward to, uh, again, getting everybody's takes. Do I love the sound of my voice? Yes, I love the sound of my voice. As a matter of fact, if I could do a three-way with me, myself, and my voice, or actually me, myself, uh, my voice, and a uh, can of Crisco, damn, that would just make for one hell of a fine evening. Anyway, take it easy, guys. Uh, Everybody on the boards. See you later. Bye. And uh, speaking of Top Cow, I'll get into this after we bid Mr. Price adieu. I picked up the Firstborn issue. How was it? I, like I said on the forum, I'm not a huge fan of the Top Cow stuff. In fact, the last time I read them was when Cyberforce was really big. So you're talking a while back. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really well-written amazingly illustrated book and uh since it's only three issues i think that's a really welcome thing when you have these long drawn out events where they're like seven issues or seven issues plus all these tie-ins that or say 52 issues in every book of the month uh, with characters that appear in this long series you know you have to read their books it's a three issue event and that's how i like them give me a story nice and small huge ramifications and then i can go read something else if i want to if i don't i have the the mini series in one chunk you know that's neat nice and fast it's like a lightning strike Boom. that's cool you know but yeah it was it was really really well done i'm in for the three issues and good job top cow Ron Mars, too. Top Cow did have something interesting, and I missed it two months ago. But last month, what caught my eye was the fact that Kevin McGuire was the artist. And I remember yeah. the original Cyber Force characters like Velocity, like Ripclaw, and this whole um, pilot season 
right. deal, I think, is, is, is pretty nifty. And, you know, I whether or not, you know, maybe, Owen, oh, you vote and you decide on who gets the series, you know, that, that might be a little bit too much. But, I mean, the fact that we're throwing out these one-shots, this is, this is what we think, you know, We'll test the market. We'll test the water. See what oh, people think. It's a great think. idea. Yeah. And and the fact that Kevin McGuire is drawing one, I was like, oh, I I I what I think I'm going to do is I might just wait and hope that they'll um end up with a with a collection of of all the pilot season issues because I did not order the Velocity issue. I, I I'm going to wait on that and see if I can find it later. But it, it, that didn't make my order because my order was was cut quite a bit. Yeah. I, I trimmed a lot myself too. And we're we're glad you're listening to a Marvel podcast where we can tell you that Top Cow has good stuff. Well, you know, there is there is that six degrees of separation Sylvester did work for Marvel at one time and it is connected to Marvel. It's just a, a bit of old Marvel history. So we'd like to uh, keep in touch with the creators. <laughs> for those of you that wanted it or didn't. Yeah, that's it don't right. matter. <laughs> and you're not paying for it, so shut the F up. <laughs> <laughs> What else do we have to cover before you hop uh, between the sheets? I am going as, as a member of the press, and I will be, hopefully, I'll be able to get a few minutes with Mr. Drew Selden, who works for Wizard, who was the gentleman that, that set us all up with press passes. And I hope to sit down with him and talk to him because I think for over the past month and a half, Vince and I have been trying to find a block of time where we could talk to Drew. I mean... The past few Sundays, Drew and I have been playing phone tag. Okay, I'll I'll call Vince and see if he's home, and then we'll call you right back. And it's just it, it, no one, nobody can. I don't blame anybody for not wanting to stay up till past eleven o'clock to speak to us. So I mean, there was no way Drew was going to be able to do it at night. But in any case, I hope to talk to Drew. I will have our little handy tape recorder that we had uh, in New York. You're sh uh, you showing your age, man tape recorder ah, and it's not even it's it's it, it records an mp3 and it's got the little usb yeah, dongle and it sticks awesome. right in and i was talking to dan last night he says oh i should find mine i said yeah you better i think he says yeah i think i want to start packing like wednesday at midnight i says you're an idiot i'm like he was like i don't even know what to bring i don't know what books to bring i i am bringing and you know keeping up with the theme of this being a marvel podcast i'm bringing my grendel archive hardcover by matt wagner <laughs> because he is going to be there i hope that i can at least get him to sign it i i um there are creators that we know vince will buy their comics regardless john ramita jr one is one matt wagner's but, one of them too is he really you betcha so you read batman and the monster man batman and the mad monk yes you read uh see what i want what i want dc to do is i want them to do an absolute matt wagner so you'd have trinity you'd have those two batman minis and you'd have faces which was a great legends of the dark knight three-parter oh, yeah. yeah. with two face and the demon uh, miniseries well see but that yeah it, you know, it should doesn't be in there yeah it doesn't fit with the theme but it was great and i love that what the art nichols oh it was a gorgeous miniseries and Back Issue, which is a phenomenal magazine, had an interview with Matt Wagner a few months back where, where they touched on the Demon Mini. And apparently, even though DC, or maybe it was Dick Giordano, but they really wanted Matt Wagner to do something. And so Matt says, okay, I'll do the Demon. And everybody was like, great. Well, almost everybody. Because apparently um, Len Wayne decided to say that, um, or basically told Matt that regardless of what he does, because it, it, something pretty big did happen in that series. And, and I mean, the series is over 20 years old now. So I don't know if, we, if, if it's considered a spoiler. But something did happen between Etrigan 
and Jason Blood. And basically, Len Wayne said that uh, whatever Wagner does in this miniseries, they're all just going to they're going to go back to the status quo once it's done. Isn't that nice? So it's like, well, why am I going to bother? Regardless of when Mage, the hero denied, eventually, you know, makes it to the light of day, you know, I'll be online getting that. That I will. I'll sell blood to make sure I can I, I can buy that series. I I so want it to look like the original Mage did. I wasn't. I enjoyed the story for the for the Mage sequel, but <laughs> I missed the artwork from the first series. See, you and I flip flop, man. I thought the second one was way better than the first. Oh, I love the airbrushed colors and the, and you and and that <laughs> and the fold out that line. Oh, in the page and in the fifteenth issue. Oh, great stuff. <laughs> Joe Fat, ah. man. Joe Fat is where it's at. <laughs> okay. All right, Hercules. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I guess David should uh, do what David's got to do. Get some sleep. Yeah. Have a I good time, I, you bastard. Uh, yeah, dude, man, don't even. We've been, <laughs> we, we've been planning this since last year I know. for us to go. I mean, this hurts, but I've, I've, I've been told that, that you will... That the guilt trips will be starting soon to make uh, sure that you make it out to San Diego next year. Oh, you, that would be cool. I would love to go to San Diego. And from what I've heard about Wizard World Chicago this year, there are companies coming in that you know haven't been there before. Like, I'm real big into the Japanese vinyl, and Hobby Link Japan is going to have a table at Wizard I'll World. I'll see what I can snag for you. Well, yeah, well, yeah. But, I mean, that is really cool. That I don't want it to be like San Diego, but it's neat that there are other companies. And I think Max Toy is going to be there, too. Like, I've heard a bunch of names that they said, well, come on over to Wizard World and get our stuff. That is neat because last year there wasn't too much vinyl there. This year, mm, there will be some, which is cool if you like dropping 50 bucks on a toy like I do. <laughs> but uh, so more than comics, but not as much as San Diego. That's just crazy. Now, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm looking around to see what's, what's new and exciting, what's coming out. You know, I, I, I do want to focus on, on some Marvel when, when, when we come back and uh, you bet. when I come back and, and, and we record episode 33. Unless something big happens over the weekend and everybody calls the buzz line and Vince releases a 33 while I'm away like he did back in February with the return of Marvel. Because, you know, I didn't, I didn't read the issue yet, so it was nice that everybody else could vent before I did, so that was, that was okay. And, and for those who don't know the Bullpen Bulletin's buzz line number, it's 1-888-654-2278, 1-888-654-2278. The code number is 285-736-2855. Pin number is 5555. Press 2 to save. And as Daryl said, it is a lot of damn numbers. <laughs> so, but it's but, worth but, it. But unlike what Daryl says, Scotty Young's a great artist. Right. But it is the pipeline to the podcast. You want to be on the show and you don't have Skype, you don't have the time to hang out with us after 11 Eastern Standard Time, call the buzz line. I will guarantee no matter what you do, you will get on the show. Your voice will be heard. You know, I'm hoping to call the buzz line this weekend if if we can't yeah, if get, just, get, get, get together for a minute, you know, at least just to say, oh my God, some dude just... or. Hey, someone that listens to the show just flashed me her stuff. Cool. But that, see, that's the thing. I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to call. It's going to be real life. I'm going to call at <laughs> you know various in instances where you may not be expecting it. Not too early, not too late. Well, maybe too late because then it's going to be real fun. But yes. uh, I, I'm going to try and just pinpoint you whenever I can. So we'll get that, that real life vibe coming through. 
spontaneity. That's what it's all about. I can dig it. You know, we don't rehearse this show, as you can tell. Yes, <laughs> that is abundantly clear, people. There is no script in the bullpen. Yeah. You know, you, you, you will be missed, obviously, yeah. and everybody who, who isn't able to make it or who lives too far away, you know, I hope that uh, that you will come back and listen to 33 and, and get an idea as to um, how much fun can be had at a con. And uh, like I said, go. I just, you know... I wish somebody would come back to listen to 33. Because you know we we plan things where we tailor the show based on audience input, and whenever I tweak the show based on what people say, the numbers go down. Whenever I do what I want to do and and just throw shit on the wall and see what sticks, numbers go up. So I don't get it. I so, guess they figure. Listen, all right, you know, I'm sure by now Vince probably listened to what my input was. And they may think we have a couple of episodes in the can, like the Around Comics guys will record, too, on a Friday night. So they're yeah. probably like, okay, you know what? It's been a couple episodes. Let me go back and listen to, to, to the show. And then that's when you do something crazy. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And then, <laughs> Well, I got something planned for this one where we're going to see how it works out. Well, <laughs> oh, I can't wait. No, you can wait. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, then, then, then it's okay that this was a. Uh, that, you know what? It's all right. This is a. This is a pre-convention show. The convention is going to have more companies there than just the one we like to talk about. That's right. Nine one one emergency. Yeah, this is uh, Ted Jones over at the Thunderhead Ranch again. Y'all need to send a car over here right away. Uh, sir, what is your emergency? Well, them damn UFOs are out here raising hell again. You need to send a cruiser over here. UFOs, sir? Hell yeah, UFOs. Last time they was here, they mutilated and violated all my cows, and y'all never showed up. Now they's after my pigs and chickens. Uh, sir, have you been drinking? Hell yeah, I've been drinking. You'd want a couple of shots, too, after these buggers have had their big claw hands up your starfish. Is anyone there hurt? Just my feelings, I guess. They keep peeking in the window when me and Mrs. Jones are having our special naked time together. And, you know, it's hard for me to perform good if somebody's watching over my shoulder and... Will you just send a car over? Someone's on their way now, sir. Well, thank you, Jeebus. It's all right. You know, I did read... I'm reading the order right now. I read Punisher War Journal. Um... I read uh, so much PhD. I read, you know, I've been I've been reading a few things here and there. Actually, what I do have for the plane ride tomorrow is um, the digest trade of uh, Rex Libris, I ah. Librarian, which Dave whacked to turn me on to. So I'm. Uh, it's a great series. It, it it looks pretty funky. I'm digging it, and yeah. it, with it with a Dave Sim forward or introduction. Well, don't hold that against it. It's it's an awesome book. And funny you should mention Stormwatch PhD because I read the trade over the weekend. What do you think? If I wish I had one tenth of the talent Doug Mankey has. Oh, okay. Well, he is incredible. And you know, I, I've said that before. His uh, Seven Soldiers Frankenstein was a revelation. The art in Stormwatch PhD is amazing, but the story is 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 very good too. Like all those yes. characters are just so likable. Even Gorgeous, who's a bitch. Yes. Has, has something likable about her. I, I love Black Betty. She is my favorite character. Yep. And you could just tell that there is something planned for her that's just going to, boo, you know, just 
blow up all over the place. But it, Stormwatch is a great book. Well, even though he's Greek, the machinist reminds me of you. Um, he's fat though. He's like fat. He's just, <laughs> that's <laughs> not why. <laughs> Actually, something something that he did in uh, the latest in last month's issue. Oh, okay. Kind of, kind of. But he is uh, cool though. It's it's interesting that you mentioned Doug Mankey because you know he's no longer the artist. I know that. And okay. I, and, and I'm sad, and I'm also overjoyed because he is working on the Black Adam miniseries. Yes. And I think he's tailor-made for that character. Perfect. Yeah. The perfect fit. And and Andy Smith's art, while different, it still fits the book. It's It, it still looks good. As far as Doug Mankey, I, like, I kind of like it. There are so many artists where I do like their earlier work. And I like his work, like when he did... When he did the mask miniseries, or mm-hmm. or the uh, serial version in uh, in the Mayhem mini from Dark Horse years ago, I didn't read any of the major bummer stuff. Did you read the Obsidian Age? No. Oh my God! You need to get that. The Obsidian okay. Age, two volumes, JLA. It's incredible. Joe Kelly did that, and uh, Batman and Wonder Woman get real tight. Really? Yeah, it's great. It's really good. But uh, you're right. Stormwatch is a great book. Now, if Gorgeous showed up in your office all naked like that, I do not have the self-control <laughs> that uh, the, the top cow has. I, I would be all over her like sweat. But that's just me. And this is a nice little... It's, it's a Stormwatch book for people that didn't read Stormwatch. Right, exactly. Back in the day. Yep. It has, I, has very little ties to the, what's gone before. I think the only issue of Stormwatch I read was i want to say issue somewhere in the 20s maybe 26 shortly after wildstorm had their books started you had books like uh, i think i think wildcats was part of it but you had stormwatch and you had maybe no it was in gen 13 but you had some some wildstorm books that 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 month they they published the issue that was going to come out like in two years, and it was it, it was it was designed to fit flawlessly when the time came for that issue to be read. And twenty six, I think, is the only or or that issue of of Stormwatch is the only issue of Stormwatch I read. It 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 was interesting. I wanted to go back and read the earlier issues and see you know and and watch everything fall into place. It was just it was neat. It's not like you know the DC one million or anything like that where you know yeah we're just going to tell a story of a future. No, this was. This issue of Stormwatch picked up where the previous issue left off and continued into the next issue, and it didn't miss a beat from what I understand. That's kind of cool. That is, if you can yeah. pull it off, yeah. Did Ellis write that? Uh, he may have. The art was kind of funky. I don't think it was Tom Rainey, but it was It was definitely an imagey style artist, and it wasn't a bad... It Was it, was it Ryan Benjamin? But in any case, so, yeah. you know, for someone who doesn't, who doesn't, is not familiar with Stormwatch, then this is, this is cool. I like Fahrenheit. I love, um, Paris. Oh, yeah. The Caretaker just creeped me the hell out. <laughs> but I've read all of these revamped, uh, Wildstorm books, and Stormwatch is far and away the top of the heap. I would say. Stormwatch PhD. Yes. And I would say the Midnighter is not so close second, but, Midnighter's pretty good too. Wetworks just stinks out loud, and you know why? Because I mean, it's canceled. That that'll tell you right there. But Wetworks was blow. didn't like that either. The and don't get me started on Gen Thirteen. There's that one. Midnighter. I think I'm going to have to sit back and and wait for the trade on that. I love the issue by Vaughn and Robertson, 
and I thought this last issue with art by John Paulian was pretty funky. But that and it's been it's been a fun series. I, I I signed up for it though with the Chris Sprouse artwork, and I think we got an issue and a half out of it. But uh, apparently he's coming back soon with with Keith Giffen on the writing. No, a lot of the uh, a lot of the wild well not a lot, but the Wildstorm books that I have checked out, I had no problem with authority. Uh, I was never really big on the authority. That, well, I never got into the authority. The few authority comics I've read were carry were were, were one shots, either with Lobo or with Planetary. I never read an actual authority comic, so that's something I do want to get the trades for that because I know you have the Hitchhart and you have Miller and Ellis and guys like that writing it. But the um, I'll let you borrow my absolute authority. Oh damn! Big oh, format, the, beautiful book. Nice. Yeah. But that's that's. I think we've spent enough time on Wildstorm for a Marvel podcast. Yes, unless you have yeah. any any closing thoughts, you got to get your ass to bed, man. Yeah, I do, buddy. So yeah, five o'clock's gonna come early. Yeah, have a good time. Thank you. I'll uh, I'll shoot you. I'll either shoot you uh, an email or I'll uh, leave you a voicemail on on your cell phone that apparently doesn't ring. I never let take you know my, that I land. I never take my cell phone with me. Look, it says right here four messages. I don't know who the frig calls me. I don't even know how to check. Oh lord, <laughs> I'm a luddite. Yeah, I'm showing far, my age. Okay. As far as it, as cell phones go, I'm a luddite. I almost never take it with me. When I do take it, when my wife tells me take your cell phone, I leave it in the car. I don't. I don't know why. I'm just retarded. It's a good place for it. Where it come, when it comes to cell phones, they're evil. They're the work of the devil. <sighs> oh lord, go to the devil. But yeah, you're going to call me on it tomorrow. Yes, I am. No, I'm going to call you on Skype. Right, on my cell phone. Yes, on your cell phone. And then we will try and get a recording thing going and let everybody in on the fun. Woohoo! Well, have a good time, buddy. And Thanks, uh, sir. I wish I could be with you, but... Uh, so do we. That's right. Yeah, have a good time. Don't get in trouble. Have a good flight, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, well, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll hear the ring. All righty. All right, be good. Have a good night, guys. All right, bye. And that's the message I was greeted with since Thursday. I tried calling David's cell phone preview night, Friday night, and today, which is Saturday, it's 1.55 in the afternoon, and I have not been able to get through to David. So no Wizard World Chicago David Price I view reports, at least until I can get through. But in lieu of that... There are a number of um, news items on a very popular comic-themed website concerning Wizard World Chicago, and a couple of them pertain to us, the Marvel fans. First of which probably has David spitting mad right now. It appears that Mark Millar and Brian Hitch will take over the monthly Fantastic Four title. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, because while I do enjoy... Hitch and Miller's work Ultimates was fantastic there's no reason to take McDuffie and Pelletier off the book other than to ramp the sales up which is apparently what they want to do because they explicitly say in this news article that they're going to propel the monthly Fantastic Four book to the top of the sales charts which sucks because 
like I said, McDuffie has been doing a really, really good job on the title, and Pelletier's no slouch either. So uh, happy on the one hand because we'll be getting more great stories and art on the flagship title, and I'm a little sad because we already had great stories and art on the flagship title. So um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. And another Marvel news item, uh, somewhat depressing Marvel news item, it appears that Rob Liefeld is going to be given a chance to draw Killraven. There will be a miniseries penned by Robert Kirkman and drawn by Rob Liefeld. Now, if Killraven hasn't been kicked in the balls creatively enough over the years, they're adding another little nudge to the sack, I guess you could say, by putting Liefeld on it. I just don't understand what they're thinking. Um, it's definitely the first Kirkman book I will not buy because while I do appreciate the man's efforts and I do enjoy his work, I'm no fan of Liefeld. And the preview images here, nah, uh, I'm not digging it. Not going to buy it. Don't really care. What, Alan Davis has too much work? Let's Alan Davis do it. Jendi Tartakovsky is going to be given a chance at Cage, Marvel's own Luke Cage in a miniseries that, who knows, may lead to something else. I'm a pretty big fan of Mr. T's work. Let's call him Mr. T because I don't really feel like trying to pronounce his last name again. Uh, he does great cartoons. So two, two out of three is not bad. Hello, Boopin' Bulletins. Uh, here's uh, Laser from the forum. Uh, I basically post drawings and eventual comments. I'm not very, very present. I'm calling from Spain, and uh, this is the first time I call, and uh, I've been hearing the show, uh, I don't know, since episode uh, three or four or uh, something. Uh, I heard you, I heard about you on uh, either around comics or. Um, Comic Geek, uh, geek Speak. Uh, I love podcasts, and I love, uh, I love, uh, I, I should say, I love um, uh, comic book podcasts and stuff like that. So um, I'm, I'm in it from the beginning, and I really enjoy it. I should, I try to find someone to do a podcast from Spain, but uh, um, you know, English uh, language is a barrier, and uh, and stuff like that. So it, it ain't happening. Um, I love the show. I wish I could hear it more regularly, uh, but that's okay because there's plenty of stuff out there. I just kind of miss you guys because I really like your humor and your approach to stuff. It's not that I need the fresh news. Um, uh, so it's all good. You know, do anything you want with the format and the sound and the and the and the editing and uh, one the layers of things and the goodies and all that stuff. I think that's all enjoyable and uh, so far it's all in pretty good taste. Uh, so congratulations and um, and all that. Uh, I, you know, right now it's the the Chicago uh, uh, Comic Con or Wizard Con or whatever. And you know, we just heard about uh, Mark Millar, Brian Hitch, Fantastic Four thing. It'd be great to hear, and I'm sure I will, your thoughts on that. Um, I wonder, you know, as everybody, you know, you can't blame us for questioning, you know, future delays, considering previous delays in, 
in, in the books that this team has worked together. And, uh, you know, this is certainly an, an all-star team, and it kind of stands out that, you know, this is a monthly book, it's strictly monthly, you know, it's been monthly forever, and, uh, you know, this is too much of a star, this is kind of a question, is this too much of a star crew to for, for such a monthly, you know, demand, <coughs> you know? Also, you know, in, in, in San Diego, we saw the, the news from Amazing Spider-Man. I find it mm, uh, more promising, the, the Fantastic Four thing, because, you know, I think the results from this team have been proven before to be, you know, interesting and, and, and uh, accomplished, you know. Uh, I wish... You know, I, I, Brian H. is not my favorite author, uh, artist, you know. I am uh, an, an all-time fan of uh, <clears throat> Alan Davis. I've been following him since I was 11 or something, or 10 or before, you know, uh, following him like crazy. So it kind of hurts my eyes each time I see a page by Brian H. that could be signed by Alan Davis. I, I know he, his perspectives and his uh, page uh, um, dispositions are, are different with the whole panorama thing. But, you know, the bodies and the faces, facial expressions and, and, and you know, every detail in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the characters and backgrounds in many, in many ways, uh, it's, it's, it's identical. And it just hurts my eyes to be unable to differentiate between you know, uh, uh, an old-time, uh, you know, um, uh, artist, uh, hero or artist of mine, and and a newcomer who's basically, you know, uh, a superstar in the comic book field. So it kind of hurts to see so much recognition uh, brought to a person who's questionably, questionably, questionably original and, um, and all that. I certainly appreciate what he's done. I mean, I've read Authority and I've read um, Ultimates and, 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 and other things by him, and, and they're greatly done. He's, you know, he's a great craft fan, but he's far from original, you know. I, I wish he could uh, depart from, from, from such a strong influence from this man who's still alive and working and well, you know. If it was like Kirby, you know, I mean, there's thousands of... of Curvy fans and imitators and homages and all that stuff. I mean, I love Godland, you know. I don't have any problem with that, and um, and and anybody else for that matter that imitates the the, the King Kirby. Uh, so I think it's more of an homage. But you know, <coughs> Davis Davis is, is you know is very active and relatively you know young and and capable of working. You know, he hasn't lost it and he hasn't abandoned the field. So. It kind of hurts me because, you know, it kind of hurts to see young generations, <clears throat> you know, admit Hitch as, as a great star and a great innovator and a great, uh, you know, um, artist and, and maybe neglect the existence of this prior, you know, guy who's identical. Come on, you know, I mean, no matter how much you like him, you can take uh, his stuff from, uh, you know, authority. Uh, for example, and just coloring, you know, coloring, uh, coloring the the uniforms of other characters, and you get your Captain Britain and your Megan and and all that stuff, you know, identical. It is so identical, you know. It is embarrassing. 
However, you know, Mike Mark Miller and the people he's collaborated with have provided great stories and, and, and certainly very epic and very detailed and very very wide in scope. So here's my crazy rant about uh, Brian Hitch and uh, I am nervously excited about the Fantastic Four, which is a thing I don't read. Uh, I haven't read in the past, but I may probably take a look at it in the future. You know, uh, again, uh, congratulations on all your efforts. Uh, you've given a lot to this. Uh, to this um, community of comic book podcasts and uh, I think your show is original and I hope you keep doing it. Uh, you know, persevere there. Your website's beautiful and the forums are quite active and, uh, you know, it's such a small little beautiful crew and um, I sure wish uh, to see it uh, go farther and farther. You know, um, okay. I'll be listening to you in the show and please don't play this online. No, really. Corey Walker will be joining Punisher War Journal crew. That's cool. Corey Walker's great. I'd be sad to see Mr. Olivetti go because he's a special talent, but Corey Walker's good. Love that. And um, I guess more as they come in. Because I'm sure as hell not getting the information from David. Ha <laughs> ha! Little dig. That's okay. Uh, so let's see. What what are we going to do here? Well, last time, episode 31 to be exact, we promised that this episode would be an investigation of the previews catalog proper. But, as with all things bullpen bulletins, our schedule is so precise, so tight, so spur of the moment that we didn't get around to it, unfortunately for whatever reasons. And now the catalog that we did plan to investigate, the previous catalog for July 2007, book shipping in September, is now out of date. A shame. It is to weep. But there is one thing from that catalog I'd like to talk about, and I don't know whether many of you have the opportunity to order from out-of-date catalogs such as they are. I mean, it's only a couple of weeks out of date, but on page 388, there is a magazine of note that I would like to promote. How about that? Almost wrapping. It is called Super 7. As many of you know, I am a huge aficionado of Japanese kaiju, uh, especially in vinyl form. I'm a big collector of vinyl Japanese monsters, and if there was one source that could give you all the information on these things, it's Super 7. The staff is, without a doubt, the most knowledgeable group of guys on the subject, and girls. Um, Mark Nagata, who has the probably the world's largest Ultraman collection, comes out of San Francisco. They have a store, and it was, I'm thinking, a quarterly magazine. But with issue number 16... They're ramping it up a little bit, and they're transforming their publication into a MOOC, M-O-O-K. Now, it's a Japanese term used to describe a hybrid of sorts, I guess you can call it, of a magazine and a book. This will be a hardcover, 240 pages, and I've been told that it will also have a slipcase. It looks like a beautiful silkscreen cover on that. And uh, as far as the contents go, kaiju is the name of the game. Now, if you don't know what kaiju is, it uh, is a Japanese word for strange beast. 
or giant monster as some people like to uh, apply it to the word but it's it's more along the lines of strange beast and uh, Godzilla Gamera Hedorah the smog monster uh, Megalon those are all examples of kaiju there the Japanese are so prolific in their toy creation that it's really really hard it's almost impossible to stay up on this stuff without a publication like Super 7 who go into exasperating detail on the history of these things. Uh, there have been pictures of, of pieces in the magazine that were f- rumored not to even exist. Some people thought they did. These people find these things and know the history of them. And it's a very scholarly journal, but it's not, very, it's not written in a dry way it's very informative but they do it they have a lot of fun doing it and uh, the layout and the uh, photography are all top-notch just beautiful layout and I for one cannot wait to see what they have planned in book format because this stuff is so important if you're a collector that it needs to be archived I mean a magazine is only so durable but a hardcover book you can reference this thing for years to come Uh, this issue promises uh, history of Japanese toys from the first Godzilla series vinyls to the latest offerings with the Secret Base. Secret Base is a production company out of Japan who has very specialized figures like the Ghost Fighters, and it, you got to see them to uh, appreciate them. Now, the most exciting thing about this Super 7 number 16 is that they promise the first ever complete guide to the work of Mori Katsura, also known as Realhead. Now, as I said, there are a lot of toys coming out of Japan. Uh, it's, it's almost impossible to keep up with the stuff. And Mori is a designer who releases work in lots of, say, 50. Uh, he's extremely prolific. There, ha- there are many different versions of his sculpts and uh, for, for different uh, special occasions, like there'll be a Japanese toy show, he'll produce a run for that, and uh, say a month later, or even weeks later, there'll be something, he had something in San Diego that was released. Now, he, he, he produces a lot of figures, and to encompass his entire output in one magazine article, I pretty much, I think that's an impossible task, but if anybody can do it, Super 7 can. So I, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, if you want to know more, about Super 7 and what they are and what they do, do a Google search for Skull Brain or Super 7. It'll take you right to the, the Super 7 store and you can see what kind of pieces they have for sale. But Skull Brain is the official message board for Super 7. And uh, like the magazine, the place is loaded with people who know infinitely more about this stuff than I do. Just uh, vast amounts of knowledge floating by. Uh, lurk for a little while because they're the type that because they know so much about this stuff they tend to get a little snippy a little uppity uh, whenever a new person joins the forums ease into it I can be found there most of the day either posting or or reading I'm always on that forum like ours I always have it thank God for tabs because I can open up a bunch of them and have our forum up and the Skull Brain forum, and, and I'm, I'm happy. So if you are interested in, in Japanese vinyl, keep an eye out for the Super 7, number 16, uh, either at your comic book store or if you're lucky enough to have a vinyl store or uh, um, one of the uh, specialty toy stores in your area. Unfortunately, Pennsylvania doesn't have it. 
it's like we're the ass end of the uh, United States. We don't we don't have stores like that, at least not in my area. But New York does. So if you're lucky enough to live in a in a big city like New York or Chicago, hunt down a vinyl shop and and pick this up. Look for it around September. Twenty four ninety five, not bad, especially if you ordered it through DCBS, who had it for like sixteen and change. You can't beat it. Two hundred forty page book, money in the bank. And while you're at it, do a Google search for real X head, one word, just to see the work of Mori Katsura. The guy's amazing. His his designs are, are so far beyond what else what all the other stuff that's being produced. He just instantly stands out. Alright, so that's done. Now let's jump into the preview catalog for August. Because we did promise that we'd go into previews and David's not here, so I'm gonna do it alone. So let's start with Dark Horse. There's an item coming out in October that should be particularly interesting to Marvel fans. It is the Savage Sword of Conan. Trade paperback. 500 plus pages for $17.95. DCBS had it for either 10 and change or 11 bucks. It was really cheap. And uh, it reprints the Conan stories from the Savage Tales magazine and the savage sword of conan from the 70s now the list of creators that worked on those books is astounding uh alfredo alcala walt simonson jim starlin pablo marcos you had the the whole filipino invasion artists on that roy thomas did a lot of the writing it's almost a who's who of bronze age marvel creators uh the best of the best and for seventeen ninety five, for that many pages, it's just an incredible value. Thank God Dark Horse has the license to do Conan because they reprinted the four-color Conan comic. They're, they're still doing that. And now it seems that they're jumping into the magazines. And for my money, the, the magazine, Marvel magazines from the 70s, are probably the best of the the company's output from that time the four color books were great but the the monster mags like dracula lives and monsters unleashed and savage sort of conan that was where the real cutting edge creative work was being done because they had uh more leeway the, it wasn't covered by the comics code and so they could throw a little bit of nudity in there a little bit of violence much more violent than the the standard four color mainstream books and they tried things differently with the stories. They had a more adult audience, so they experimented a little bit more. And this is the shit. Pick up Savage Sword of Conan from Dark Horse. And while you're at it, get the monthly Dark Horse, too, because it's just great. Hey, guys, this is KY Comic Guy. Uh, just seen Vince's message on the board about posting a message, and I have absolutely nothing original to complain about right now. So I'm going to take Vince's advice and read a little poem. This comes from the great short works of Edgar Allan Poe. It's called A Dream Within a Dream. <clears throat> take this kiss upon the brow, and in parting from you now, thus much let me avow. You are not wrong who deem that my days have been a dream. Yet if hope has flown away in a night or in a day, in a vision or in none, is it therefore the less gone? All that we see or seem is it but a dream within a dream. I stand amid the roar 
of a surf-tormented shore. In a hold within my hand, grains of the golden sand, how few, yet how they creep, through my fingers to the deep, while I weep, while I weep. O oh God, can I not grasp them with a tighter clasp? O oh God, can I not save one from the pitiless wave? Is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream? Okay, I'm done. Let's jump on over to one of my favorite companies. Yep, you that's right, Image. I have a hard time budgeting myself as far as Image is concerned because as I page through their catalog, so many things strike my eye. Uh, they're just Their books are so different from everything else that's out there. I have to be honest. If, if Marvel or DC just suddenly stopped publishing comics, in terms of the industry as a whole, it would be a huge financial impact on the industry, especially if Marvel stopped. Because look at the charts. Mar- Marvel pretty much dominates the top 25. And, and DC as well. I mean, they have their share of books in the, in the top 25. Very big sellers. So if they stop doing what they do, it would be a, a crunch in the industry in terms of dollar amounts. But creatively, would Marvel or DC's passing really matter in terms of the comic book industry? Would it have that much of an impact? They've been publishing superhero books, in Marvel's case, since 63, and DC's case even earlier. But you have to admit, since then, what has really changed in terms of the superhero? Not not a whole hell of a lot. There hasn't been all that much experimentation at Marvel or DC. Marvel did experiment in the 70s, like I said, with the magazines, but they didn't last too long. That's not what the audience wants. Uh, they, they do superheroes very well, but what they do has pretty much remained unchanged for decades. But if Image were to suddenly go away, I, I think the creative impact on the comic book industry would be staggering. It would be a, a major loss. No one publishes an array of comics like Image. The, just the diversity of subject matter and art styles and and risk-taking. Marvel and DC don't take risks. Now, I'm not including Vertigo in with DC because that's a totally different beast. But in terms of mainstream output from Marvel and DC, there's not a lot of risks going on. Not a lot of experimentation. It's business as usual. Not so at Image. I mean, uh, just a, a cursory glance through the image part of the previews. There's so many different books, different themes, different genres. And from from one company, image is the place to be these days. Uh, Larson has done a fantastic job with the company. I mean, the the amount of talent under their umbrella these days is just mind-boggling. I never bought into Girls from the Luna Brothers. And with this new series, The Sword, I will rectify that. It looks really good. The cover is just amazingly powerful. That's a dynamic cover. I don't know why she's screaming, but uh, I will because I'm buying into that series. It looks very good. 
that's another thing. There's not enough fantasy series out there. Sure, you have the Dragonlance stuff from uh, Devil's Do and uh, Avatar sometimes does fantasy, but by and large, there's a dearth of fantasy books in the industry, and I'm hoping this will fill some kind of void. Moving on, another book that instantly caught my eye was Brawl from Dean Haspiel and Michael Fife. Now, Warren Ellis, the crusty curmudgeon of comics himself, claims that Dean Haspiel is the heir to Kirby. Now, that's, that's some pretty big shoes to fill, and I'm familiar with Dean's work. Hell of a nice guy. Amazingly talented. Uh, I followed Billy Dogma for a long time, and American Splendor, Harvey Picar. Um, Dean Haspiel did a graphic novel with him called The Quitter last year. It's just a, a fantastic piece of work. And I'm hoping that this is more of the same. Dean's just, he should be a household name in comics, but unfortunately, the way the industry is set up, he is not because he hasn't drawn Batman or or Spider-Man. But um, he has the chops, and this cover is just crazy. The, the type treatment is just perfect. The, the, the uh, image, although I don't know what's going on, I want to know, and that's nine-tenths of the of the battle with uh, as far as covers go so really dynamic especially the red just sucks you right in so i'm in for brawl it's only three issues too where are you going if it sucks i don't see how it can but if it is you're only out three issues it's not like buying into a 10 issue miniseries or a 12 issue miniseries it's it, they claim it's a mature reader's hard-boiled romance gone kirby cosmic so that's a, a a genre mess. So and they they use two of the big keywords: manga inspired Ditko noir. So you got Ditko, and they they pulled the they played the Kirby card. So they have my money. That's a no brainer with me. And wow, uh, another no brainer on the facing page, at least for me. It's uh, zombies are the in thing right now, and. Rick Remender is a hell of a horror writer. It's a match made in heaven. Rick Remender, Zombies, Tony Moore, Kieran Dwyer, and Porn Stars. They wrote this book for me. The, the cover is very reminiscent of Frank Miller's Hard Boiled with the old peering through the hole in the head thing. And they did it last month on Kyle Baker's Special Forces with the... Uh, the Mickey Mouse with the head blown off um, or through. Once again, Tony Moore, another one of those guys who should be a lot more popular than he is. And Kieran Dwyer, too. They're two just balls-out amazing talents. Glad that they're at Image, though, because it just bolsters the company's catalog, which is more uh, amazing material. And, I mean, porn stars and zombies... That's another thing missing in the industry is more horror anthologies. Now, Paper Cuts is doing it with the revamped EC books like Tales from the Crypt. But from what I've seen, they're not cutting it. And I know Rick Remender can cut it and chop it and do it up. So this is something I'm looking forward to. So that's another image book. So there's three that I ordered. Lazarus, that cover's killer. I'm assuming that he's either really tough to kill or can't be killed but uh, in terms of 
just an eye-catching, suck you in and make you want to read it cover, that Lazarus number one is, it's flawless, really. It's another three-issue miniseries from the artist of Rex Mundi, which is Juan Ferreira. He's fantastic. So, uh, yet another on my list. Now, it's like this is the tailor-made Vince B. month at Image because y'all know I'm crazy about the paranormal stuff. And they are introducing an ongoing called Proof, which has a Bigfoot (laughs) on their team. So, and a hot chick with a gun. And it looks like Walking Dead or zombies or something. So, uh, the keywords, Loch Ness Monster, Mothman, El Chupacabra, and her partner's Bigfoot. Give me a break. I'm unable to resist this book. And the art and cover is by Riley Rosmo, who I'm not familiar with, but his work looks very good. Very gritty in the Tony Moore kind of way. And stories by Alex Grecian. Again, don't know who they are, but I will because I'm ordering it. Now, if there's one thing you order from Image this month, it should be the Dynamo 5 trade. They're taking a risk with this because they're obviously confident in the material. It's by Jay Farber and Mahmoud Asrar. 176 pages for $9.99. Reprints Dynamo 5 numbers 1 to 7. DCBS has it for 5 bucks. Where are you going? You cannot go wrong with this. Tom Caters has told me that I will love it. So I, I'm not going to argue with Tom Caters. I'm unfamiliar with the series. I don't know who they are or what they do. And to be honest, the cover doesn't tell me much other than their superhero team, which has been done to death by every comics publisher. But I, I am familiar with Jay Farber's work. I like what he does. And I'll take the chance but for five bucks. I'm the type of person that if I enjoy this trade, uh, I'll pick up the singles. I'll start buying it monthly, which, uh, as you know, I, I have stopped doing as far as Marvel goes because Marvel does not need my money on a monthly basis. Image does. I don't wait for the trade with Image. It's not good. Image needs cash flow, and they're not going to get it on a monthly basis anyway. If everyone waits for the trades, their books are too damn good to wait. You need to pick them up on a monthly basis. Another fantastic value on the next page, the Madman Volume 2 trade paperback. 328 pages of Michael Allred goodness for $17.99. And you know you're going to get it a lot cheaper than that at DCBS. Reprints, Madman Comics 1 to 11. Now, Warren Ellis may think that Dean Haspill is the heir to Kirby, but I think Michael Allred is a little bit higher on that list. Michael's work is just astounding on so many levels. I've, I've been a fan of his since day one. He's, he's one of those since Dead Air. Jeez, that's going back a long time. Uh, he's one of those artists that I won't even question his work. I'll just, as soon as I hear his name, boink, I order it. With the exception of that, that Mormon thing, that Golden Plates thing he did. It It may be beautifully illustrated, but as far as I'm concerned, it's beautifully illustrated bullshit so i did not buy into that but it's the one exception in the in the mad in the the allred catalog that i i balked at but under most circumstances i order allred's work without question his ecstatics was the high point of the mutant uh universe for me i i i think he uh 
got pretty much kneecapped on that book. The fans just did not know what to expect, and it was so different from what their that type of fan is used to reading that it just did not get the the uh, respect it deserved. Be that as it may. <laughs> Why the hell is Zeb Wells getting an amazing Spider-Man book? The man can't write. And who the hell is Bob Gale? What the hell is going on? And get Scotty Young off my damn new X-Men book. I'm getting sick and tired. And when is he leaving? And what is Zeb Wells doing on a on a, on a main title? Everything he writes gets canceled. So what is the deal? What's going on? Damn it. And it's still too many damn numbers. I said, do something about that. If you're an Invincible fan, I think you already know about the Invincible Universe official handbook collection. There's a reason why Invincible is called the greatest superhero comic being published is because it is, without question, the best superhero book out there right now. Yes... Brew Baker's doing a great job on Captain America and Daredevil, and and uh, there's a lot of Marvel writers kicking ass with their characters right now. But for my money, Invincible is it, and it goes back to that corporate character mechanic that handicaps a lot of writers. There's only so much a writer can do with a character who also is used to sell underoos, paper plates, and bed sheets. And, and things like that. Nothing significant will ever happen to Spider-Man. It's been proven. The fans went bonkers when Peter Parker was removed from the role and the status quo was quickly restored. It's just, you can tell great stories with these characters, but on an ongoing basis, you really can't change them all that much when they are also used to make movies and uh, notebook covers and calendars and posters and and things of that nature because they are cash cows. And uh, any company, the people who run it, uh, if they have any brain cells at all, they're not going to squash a money-making opportunity. They're not going to kill off Spider-Man. They're not going to let anything significant happen to him where he's changed to the point where the general public, which is not the same as the comic-buying public, won't recognize him anymore so that's one of the good things about image that their characters while you know they do make money for the company let's let's be honest but they're the chance for real organic storytelling where anything can happen and anything does the chances of that happening at image are far greater than the chances of something like that happening at marvel and dc it's it's i mean it's obvious moving on that's kind of a downer wasn't it Let's check out Bad Planet, another one of those books that has obvious ties to the EC books, such as Weird Science and books like that. It is a long time coming because the first issue shipped, geez, it must be over a year ago, probably more than that. It just disappeared. Now Image is thankfully reprinting the first issue for those who didn't buy into it and is getting the ball rolling again. Steve Niles and Thomas Jane. You know those names if you're a horror fan. Art by Jim Daly, Tim Bradstreet, and Dave Kendall. Two out of three is not bad. And uh, one thing about this series, the cover artists, classic horror artists. The first issue was by Bernie Wrightson did the cover. 
this issue colluded is doing one i mean if you ask a horror fan to name their favorite artists almost invariably bernie wrightson's on that list and colluda and william stout all of which are doing covers for bad planet so and and the, it's it's the classic tale. Aliens come down, kick our asses, and it, there's a couple neat twists. It's a mature reader's title, so they have the uh, opportunity to push it in areas where your all ages books are not want to go, so to speak. Casanova. I don't have to talk about Casanova. If you read it, you know how fantastic it is. If you don't, all I'm going to say is you have to pick it up. It's a buck ninety nine. Some of the best writing in comics today by Matt Fraction. Art by Fabio Moon, cover by Gabriel Bay. There, there aren't many perfect titles out there, but Casanova and Fell, for me, are great price point, great stories, fantastic art, reader-friendly, chunky back matter. It's that old broken record. How many times can I, we tell you that Casanova is great before you pick it up? And it is. Richard Starkings and Elephant Men, for my money, one of the best comics being published today. The characters, the universe, it, it works on so many levels. On one, you have these genetically uh, created animal-human hybrids, but then you get into the concepts of discrimination and um, the morality of it. Covers by Ledron. Huh. Does it get any better? Elephant Men, another title. Needs to be read. More people need to be reading Elephant Men. It should be in the top ten. But unfortunately, it's not. On page 155, we have a double header that's pretty much irresistible for me. Killing Girl, number three of five. Drawn by the amazing Frank Espinoza. Story by Glenn Brunswick. Ooh. Art and variant cover by Toby Cypress. Hello. What's going on there? I thought that Mr. Espinoza was going to be illustrating this entire series. I guess not. Well, see what happens when you read the solicitations? You learn things. It's one thing I, I almost never do is read the copy that comes with these things because I don't really like to know what's going to happen in the books that I read. Um, as far as the creative teams, yeah, I, I like to be informed about that, but the uh, synopsis of what's going on, no, I don't like to know because uh, too many times uh, I haven't been spoiled, but even a little blurb like Reed finds out that Franklin's been playing with himself at night. Like that that gives you a little bit too much insight as to what's going on in the story, like, like a film. I like to go into these things blind. And uh, a lot of times the, the, the text, uh, you know, it, it, it tells me a little bit too much. The Mad Men Atomic Comics, another title that you should be reading. Issue number four was a masterpiece of comics. Uh, I think it was issue number four. M Mike Allred did a, a series of homage panels to every great comic artist you can think of. But he uh, wove it into the story where it made sense that that was happening. And it not only had bearing as t in terms of the story, but uh, it pretty much showed that Allred can handle himself in a number of different ways. He did a flawless Kirby, a Steranko, a C.C. Beck. I mean, the guy is just incredible. And that's another thing that totally boggles my mind, uh, as far as comic fans go, where they'll go 
wacky and and light the internet up over discussions on whether uh, or the Hulk threw Black Bolt out of the ship. And they'll totally ignore an issue where an artist will transform himself panel to panel in in virtually hundreds of different styles and create something that of major importance and it'll be totally ignored by the internet community. I, I just don't understand that. Where the hell are your priorities? Obviously there with Black Bolt. Let's see what else we have for... Oh, I was wrong. The Kyle Baker Mickey Mouse blown through the head cover is this month too. So you have two image covers with a bird's eye view of, of a head with a hole blown in it. You have the Triple X Zombies and the Special Forces cover. So it's good time to be an image fan. Yeah. And I'm so glad that Kyle Baker is doing this project because not only do we need more political commentary out there, but I'm glad he abandoned that Baker's thing for a little while because I do love the man's work, but I, I don't need lighthearted family tales. I have enough of those around my house. It's nice to see once, but I don't want to see a series of it. So let's let's move on. We're done with Image. Uh, Gutsville, Strange Embrace. They're all great books. I, I'd like to talk about them more, but this is not the Image podcast, although that is a good idea. Maybe sometimes in, sometime in the future. Repo looks great, also from Image. That, that cover is staggering. I don't know what's going on, but I really want to. Not one of the series that I bought into in the monthly format, but I will pick that up and trade. I'm sorry, Eric, but I only have so much money. Jamie McKelvey's Suburban Glamour. If you read Phonogram, you know how good this guy is. The Arts by Jamie McKelvey and Guy Major. His sense of design is impeccable. I love the way he uses type. Enough about image. Read Walking Dead, too. Let's see what else we got here. McFarlane's Dragons. Whatever. (laughs) Now, let's move on to Top Cow. I purchased the Firstborn number one and I have to say I was really pleasantly surprised by what I read and what I saw. Stefan Sedgik is mind-bogglingly talented. He's got this weird take on reality where sections will be uh, so detailed that it pushes what you're looking at into like this hyper-realism where uh, scales and body armor and plating will be super realistically rendered and then you have other areas in the same image that are painted in loose immediate brush strokes the the, the guy's art just knocked me on my ass and I'm like I said I'm no big fan of Top Cow but I thought the way Ron Mars constructed the first blood issue was very very clever because it begins with Cyberforce and Cyberforce was one of the books that uh, just exploded in the 90s and was a very very good seller and uh, to begin a company-wide crossover with a recognizable team was just smart storytelling because I knew who they were and I identified with the characters and I haven't read Top Cow stuff for a long long time but I still knew those characters so it was a nice way to just crack the door open for somebody who hasn't been reading Top Cow for a while 
and the darkness was a part of it and Witchblade. So uh, again, darkness, Garth Ennis, I've read that. So, I mean, I know who he is. And uh, while I may have missed a couple of plot developments over the years because I haven't read their books, it didn't really matter. It was written for a reader who, you know, the, the, the hardcore Top Cow people probably enjoyed it and I enjoyed it. And I'm not one of those. So it was really well-crafted. And like I said, the art is just, wow, uh, good Lord. And so because of Stepan Sedgwick's artwork, I ordered this pilot season Angelus number one, which they're all number ones. It's a real, real neat concept where they're, uh, like David said earlier in the show, a series of single issues. You get to vote on which one stays. Neat. I will be sticking with Top Cow at least until Firstborn's over because I want to see how that pans out. All right. Page 195. That is a very cool Howard the Duck statue, but unfortunately, even though it's limited to 1,500 pieces, it's way too expensive. 175 bucks? Nah. I would like to own it, but not at that price. I spend enough money on, on toys. I, d I don't need to dump $175 on Howard, even though he is worth it to me. It's just too much to dump at one time. We all have limited budgets, especially now with the stock market doing a, a little roller coaster ride every couple of days and the, the, the Fed's pumping billions of dollars to offset it, which really doesn't make all that much sense when you think about it. Your currency is supposed to be based on gold. and Well, it used to be anyway. Obviously not anymore. So, but I mean, we all have limited budgets for these things, and and uh, money is only going to get tighter, I think. So, I, I, like you, I have to budget, and 175 bucks is a huge, a huge burden when you have so many other books to pick up. My burden weighs heavily uh, round my neck, Sam. Oh, don't worry, Mr. Frodo, I'll carry you. But enough of that. Another company I really love is Virgin. Yes, the Virgin publishes a great assortment of titles like Snake Woman, created by Shikhar Kapoor, written by Zeb Wells. We all know who Zeb Wells is. Art by Vivek Shind and Michael Gatos does the covers and he originally uh, launched the series but the story is just so damn good. Virgin attempted to snag a little bit more readers with a, a recent 99 cent zero issue for Snake Woman. I hope it worked because it's one of those titles that's just really good. The story is so engrossing. A uh, little bit about reincarnation and the plight of this woman who is the vessel for the snake goddess and she has to destroy 68 men who have wronged her in the past but she has to do it within the span of one lifetime if she kills 67 of them and she somehow disposed of she has to be reborn again and they will be reborn again until she disposes with the 68 men and I'm hoping there's a woman in there uh, within one lifetime so that's a really neat really intriguing concept and uh, from the issues to date she's got a good uh, run on eliminating all those men uh, another neat title is Devi is, is a great book Ramayan is my favorite it's uh, one of the oldest stories and now it's being written by Ron Mars it's called Ramayan Reloaded they did a little bit of a a uh, relaunch with the book although I don't, I don't know why I guess another number one would attract more attention 
So uh, in any case, if it works, it was worth it. Let's see what else we have in here. Oh, my inner bimbo number two. It looks like Sam Keith is getting off his ass and producing another issue. Uh, like Bad Planet, my inner bimbo number one shipped a long, long time ago. And it was a dense, complicated read loaded with beautiful Sam Keith art. I really enjoyed it and ordered the second one and it was one of those cases where I had to be credited on my order because it just never shipped. Looks like it's going to ship. Sam Keith's back on track and that's a good thing. I'm jumping around here a little bit because it's it's uh, sometimes good to be non-linear. Avatar recently uh, garnered my attention with the publication of Dr. Sleepless and Black Summer, both by Warren Ellis. I think Black Summer is one of those career-making stories from Warren Ellis uh, along the lines of Transmet. While he may have been working in the comic industry prior to his work on Transmetropolitan, I think Transmet was the one where uh, a lot of people stood up and took notice of Warren Ellis's writing ability. And Black Summer is one of those. It's 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 a, a career high point for Warren Ellis. I think it's a very important story, and you should be buying it. We talked about it on a previous episode, and I will reiterate how good the book is. I am slowly becoming a fan of Juan Jose Rip. His art is a little bit too detailed for me, um, but I'm learning to appreciate it and I guess love it. In the recently published first issue, we got a little bit of a, uh, more of a glimpse into Tom Noir's apartment, and I swear, Rip drew every cigarette in this huge ashtray. I mean, you could even count them if you wanted to. They were, that they were drawn so precisely, and, and while that's impressive in, in terms of the story, if he just, you know, drew the top layer of cigarettes and, and, and uh, let your eye fill in the details with the bottom. That would have been okay, but Mr. Rip feels the need to go all out. He mustn't sleep. Either that or he's just faster than hell. Vince, David, this is the Big Largens. Just wanting to weigh in on a couple of announcements from the San Diego Comic-Con this past weekend. First up, is the announcement of the new creative team on Runaways once once Whedon's done with his run. Uh, Terry Moore and Umberto Ramos. I don't know how good this is going to work out. I've seen Ramos' art, and, and I'm a fan of it, but I believe that that it needs to be toned down a bit. Like, some of the stuff that I've seen looked very cartoony to me. And so I think his his art could fit the book, but he needs to tone it down a little bit. I've never read anything by Terry Moore, so I'm hoping I don't get disappointed in the quality of the writing because, I mean, Brian K. Vaughn's a mad evil comic writing genius, and so is Joss Whedon. So I hope I'm not disappointed there. And next is the Astonishing X-Men creative team, Warren Ellis and Simone Bianchi. Now, anybody on the boards knows that I'm a huge Warren Ellis fan, but I, for some reason, Bianchi's art has never done anything for me. And I know I'm not the only one. Um, it just doesn't seem to to portray a sense of motion very well to me, anyway. And so I know it's going to be great as far as writing goes, and it's going to be good to see Ellis on another team book. And especially with the X-Men, it'll be interesting to see what he can do. But I don't 
I don't know how well Bianchi's art will fit with Ellis's writing. Um, I'm just going to have to wait and see how, how good that works. But this seems to be the story for Marvel, at least with these two titles from the San Diego Comic-Con. Get a either a great writer or a great artist, in Runaway's case, and then put a mediocre artist or you know a writer I've never heard of. I'm sure that Moore has done other things, but, but I've never heard anything from him. So we'll just have to see. I'm sure everybody here is aware of it, but if there's somebody out there on the boards or listening to this that hasn't read both Black Summer, Issues 0 and 1, and Dr. Sleepless, Issue 1, both by Warren Ellis from Avatar. I know they're not Marvel comics, and this is bullpen bulletins, but i got to say, they're amazing. I've, Ellis in, in Black Summer is doing some things with the superhero genre that's really interesting to me, and and it, I also like the characters in, uh, in Dr. Sleepless. <laughs> And the second Warren Ellis title at Avatar is Dr. Sleepless. Now, I recently consumed the first issue of Dr. Sleepless, and I loved it. I think the story is fantastic. The power of the character, the concept, which is infinitely more powerful than what a flesh-and-blood human could achieve. Now, you can't kill a character when they exist in the minds of the population. You can kill a person. When the opposing force is a character, it makes them uh, um, much, much more harder to deal with and to uh, ultimately erase. And that's what's happening in Dr. Sleepless. And the main character is John Reinhardt, and he abandons that guy's that the the person that was John Reinhardt he disposes of that and instead becomes this character, this Dr. Sleepless character. And like I said, that concept also plays a big part in Harlan Ellison's Repent Harlequin, said the TikTok man. And if you haven't read that story, fear not, because I am going to read it for you right now. See that? It's a, it's a short story. It's like six pages, but it, it perfectly illustrates what's going on in Dr. Sleepless, where a character can ignite change much more effectively than a flesh-and-blood human being. Now, I don't profess to be a thespian, although I do like women, but um, I, I have no acting chops whatsoever, and I'm not even all that great of a reader, but I, I will give it a shot, and it's a, it's a classic story. It's something everyone should read at least once in their lifetime. It's from the anthology Pain God and Other Stories, but uh, Repent Harlequin has been reprinted many, many, many times over the years. It's in the Essential Ellison collection and, and other reprints of his, his books, but uh, it's a great story. So, there are always those who ask, what is it all about? For those who need to ask, for those who need points sharply made, who need to know where it's at, this... The mass of men serve the state thus, not as men mainly, but as machines with their bodies. They are the standing army and the militia, the jailers, constables, posse comitatus, etc. In most cases, there is no free exercise whatever of the judgment or of the moral sense, but they put themselves on a level with wood and earth and stones. And wooden men can perhaps be manufactured that will serve the purpose as well. Such command no more respect than men of straw or a lump of dirt. 
They have the same sort of worth only as horses and dogs, yet such as these, even, are commonly esteemed good citizens. Others, as most legislators, politicians, lawyers, ministers, and office holders, serve the state chiefly with their heads, and, as they rarely make any moral distinctions, they are as likely to serve the devil without intending it as God. A very few, as heroes, patriots, martyrs, reformers in the great sense, and men, serve the state with their consciences also, and so necessarily resist it for the most part, and they are commonly treated as enemies by it. Henry David Thoreau from Civil Disobedience. That is the heart of it. Now begin in the middle, and later learn the beginning. The end will take care of itself. But because it was the very world it was, the very world they had allowed it to become, for months his activities did not come to the alarmed attention of the ones who kept the machine functioning smoothly, the ones who poured the very best butter over the cams and mainsprings of the culture. Not until it had become obvious that somehow, some way, he had become a notoriety, a celebrity, perhaps even a hero for, what officialdom inescapably tagged, an emotionally disturbed segment of the populace, did they turn it over to the TikTok man and his legal machinery. But by then, because it was the very world it was, they had no way to predict he would happen. Possibly a strain of disease long defunct, now suddenly reborn in a system where immunity had been forgotten, had lapsed. He had been allowed to become too real. Now he had form and substance. He had become a personality, something they had filtered out of the system many decades before. But there it was, there he was, a very definitely imposing personality. In certain circles, middle class circles, it was thought disgusting, vulgar ostentation, anarchistic, shameful. In others, there was only sniggering, those strata where thought is subjugated to form and ritual, niceties, proprieties. But down below, ah, down below, where the people always needed their saints and sinners, their bread and circuses, their heroes and villains, he was considered a Bolivar, a Napoleon, a Robin Hood, a Dick Bong, a Cervasus, a Jesus, a Jomo Kenyatta. And at the top, where, like socially attuned shipwreck Kellys, every tremor and vibration threatens to dislodge the wealthy, powerful, and tilted from their flagpoles, he was considered a menace, a heretic, a rebel, a disgrace, a peril. He was known down the line to the very heartmeat core, but the important reactions were high above and far below, at the very top and at the very bottom. So his file was turned over, along with his time card and his cardio plate, to the office of TikTok Man. The TikTok Man, very much over six feet tall, often silent, a soft purring man when things went time-wise, the TikTok Man. Even in the cubicles of the hierarchy where fear was generated, seldom suffered, he was called the TikTok Man, but no one called him that to his mask. You don't call a man a hated name, not when that man, behind his mask is capable of revoking the minutes, hours, the days and nights, the years of your life. He was called the master timekeeper to his mask. It was safer that way. This is what he is, said the TikTok man with genuine softness, but not who he is. 
This time card I'm holding in my left hand has a name on it, but it is the name of what he is, not who he is. The cardio plate here in my right hand is also named, but not whom named, merely what named. Before I can exercise proper revocation, I have to know who this what is. To his staff, all the ferrets, all the loggers, all the finks, all the comics, even the minis, he said, Who is this harlequin? He was not purring smoothly. Time-wise, it was a jangle. However, it was the longest speech they had ever heard him utter at one time. The staff, the ferrets, the loggers, the finks, the comics, but not the minis, who usually weren't around to know in any case. But even they scurried to find out. Who is the Harlequin? High above the third level of the city, he crouched on the humming aluminum frame platform of the air float. Foof, airboat, indeed. Swizzle's kid is what it was, with a tow rack jerry-rigged. And he stared down at the neat Mondrian arrangement of the buildings. Somewhere nearby, he could hear the metronomic left-right-left of the 2.47 p.m. shift, entering the Timken roller-bearing plant in their sneakers. A minute later, precisely, he heard the softer right-left-right of the 5 a.m. formation going home. An elfin grin spread across his tanned features, and his dimples appeared for a moment. Then, scratching at his thatch of auburn hair, he shrugged within his motley, as though girding himself for what came next, and he threw the joysticks forward and bent into the wind as the airboat dropped. He skimmed over a sidewalk, purposely dropping a few feet to crease the tassels of the ladies of fashion, and, inserting thumbs in his large ears, he stuck out his tongue, rolled his eyes, and went wugga-wugga-wugga. It was a minor diversion. One pedestrian skittered and tumbled, sending parcels every which way. Another wet herself. A third keeled slantwise, and the walk was stopped automatically by the servitors till she could be resuscitated. It was a minor diversion. Then he swirled away on a vagrant breeze and was gone. Hi-ho! As he rounded the cornice of the time-motion study building, he saw the shift just boarding the slidewalk. With practiced motion and an absolute conservation of movement, they sidestepped up onto the slow strip and, in a chorus line reminiscent of a Bubsy Berkeley film of the antediluvian 1930s, advanced across the strips, ostrich-walking until they were lined up on the express strip. Once more, in anticipation, the elfin grin spread, and there was a tooth missing back there on the left side. He dipped, skimmed, and swooped over them, and then, scrunching about on the airboat, he released the holding pins that fastened shut the ends of the homemade pouring troughs that kept his cargo from dumping prematurely. As he pulled the trough pins, the airboat slid over the factory workers, and $150,000 worth of jelly beans cascaded down on the express trip. Jelly beans, millions and billions of purples and yellows and greens and licorice and grape and raspberry and mint and round and smooth and crunchy outside and soft mealy inside and sugary and bouncing, jouncing, tumbling, clittering, clattering, skittering, fell on the heads and shoulders and hard hats and carapaces of the Timkin workers, tinkling on the sidewalks and bouncing away and rolling about underfoot and filling the sky on their way down with all the colors of joy and childhood and holidays coming down in a steady rain, a solid wash, a torrent of color and sweetness out of the sky from above, and entering a universe of sanity and metronomic order with quite mad cuckoo newness. 
jelly beans. The shift workers howled and laughed and were pelted and broke ranks, and the jelly beans managed to work their way into the mechanism of the slide walks, after which there was a hideous scraping as the sound of a million fingernails rasped down a quarter of a million blackboards, followed by a coughing and a sputtering, and then the slide walks all stopped and everyone was dumped this way and that way in a jackstraw tumble still laughing and popping little jelly bean eggs of childish color into their mouths. It was a holiday and a jollity and an absolute insanity, a giggle, but the shift was delayed seven minutes. They did not get home for seven minutes. The master schedule was thrown off by seven minutes. Quotas were delayed by an operative slidewalks for seven minutes. He had tapped the first domino in the line, and one after another, like chick, 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 the others had fallen. The system had been seven minutes worth of disrupted. It was a tiny matter, one hardly worthy of note, but in a society where the single driving force was order and unity and equality and promptness and clock-like precision and attention to the clock, reverence of the gods of the passage of time, it was a disaster of major importance. So he was ordered to appear before the TikTok man. It was broadcast across every channel of the communications web. He was ordered to be there at 7 o'clock, damn it, on time. And they waited, and they waited, but he didn't show up until almost 10.30, at which time he merely sang a little song about moonlight in a place no one had ever heard of, called Vermont, and vanished again. But they had all been waiting since 7, and it wrecked hell with their schedules. So the question remained, who is the Harlequin? But the unasked question, more important of the two, was how did we get into this position where a laughing, irresponsible japer of Jabberwocky and Jive could disrupt our entire economic and cultural life with $150,000 worth of jelly beans? Jelly beans! Jelly, for God's sake, beans! This is madness. Where did he get the money to buy $150,000 worth of jelly beans? They knew it would have cost that much because they had a team of situation analysts pulled off another assignment and rushed to the sidewalk scene to sweep up and count the candies and produce findings which disrupted their schedules and threw their entire branch at least a day behind. Jelly beans! Jelly beans! Now wait a second. A second accounted for. No one has manufactured jelly beans for over a hundred years. Where did he get jelly beans? That's another good question. More than likely, it will never be answered to your complete satisfaction. But then, how many questions ever are? The middle you know. Here is the beginning. Here's how it starts. A desk pad. Day for day. And turn each day. 9 o'clock. Open the mail. 9.45. Appointment with Planning Commission Board. 10.30. Discuss installation progress charts with J.L. 11.45. Pray for rain. 12 o'clock. Lunch. And so it goes. I'm sorry, Miss Grant, but the time for interviews was set at 2.30, and it's almost 5 now. I'm sorry you're late, but those are the rules. You'll have to wait until next year to submit application for this college again. And so it goes. The 1010 local stops at Crest Haven, Galesville, Tonawana Junction, Selby, and Farnhurst, but not at Indiana City, Lucasville, and Colton, except on Sunday. The 1035 Express stops at Galesville, Selby, and Indiana City, except on Sundays and holidays, at which time it stops at. And so it goes. I couldn't wait, Fred. 
I had to be at Pierre Cartain's by 3 o'clock, and you said you'd meet me under the clock in the terminal at 2.45, and you weren't there, so I had to go on. You're always late, Fred. If you'd been there, we could have sewed it up together. But as it was, well, I took the order alone. And so it goes. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Atterley, in reference to your son Gerald's constant tardiness, I am afraid we will have to suspend him from school unless some more reliable method can be instituted guaranteeing he will arrive in his classes on time. Granted, he is an exemplary student and his marks are high, but his constant flouting of the schedules of this school makes it impractical to maintain him in a system where the other children seem capable of getting where they are supposed to be on time. And so it goes. You cannot vote unless you appear at 8.45 a.m. I don't care if the script is good. I need it Thursday. Check out time is 2 p.m. You got here late. The job's taken. Sorry. Your salary has been docked for 20 minutes time lost. God, what time is it? I've got to run. And so it goes, and so it goes, and so it goes, and so it goes, 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 goes. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. And one day we no longer let time serve us. We serve time. We are slaves of the schedule, worshippers of the sun's passing, bound into a life predicated on restrictions because the system will not function if we don't keep the schedule tight until it becomes more than a minor inconvenience to be late. It becomes a sin, then a crime, then a crime punishable by this. Effective 15 July, 2389, 12 o'clock midnight, the office of the Master Timekeeper will require all citizens to submit their time cards and cardio plates for processing. In accordance with statute 555-7-SGH-999, governing the revocation of time per capita, all cardio plates will be keyed to the individual holder and... What they had done was to devise a method of curtailing the amount of life a person could have. If he was ten minutes late, he lost ten minutes of his life. An hour was proportionately worth more revocation. If someone was consistently tardy, he might find himself, on a Sunday night, receiving a communique from the master timekeeper that his time had run out. And he would be turned off at high noon on Monday. Please straighten your affairs, sir, madam, or bisex. And so, by this simple scientific expedient, utilizing a scientific process held dearly secret by the TikTokman's office, the system was maintained. It was the only expedient thing to do. It was, after all, patriotic. The schedules had to be met. After all, there was a war on. But wasn't there always? Now that is really disgusting the Harlequin said, when Pretty Alice showed him the wanted poster. Disgusting and highly improbable. After all, this isn't the days of Desperados. A wanted poster. You know, Pretty Alice noted, you speak with a great deal of inflection. I'm sorry, said the Harlequin humbly. No need to be sorry. You're always saying, I'm sorry. You have such massive guilt, Everett. It's really very sad. I'm sorry, he repeated, then pursed his lips so the dimples appeared momentarily. He hadn't wanted to say that at all. I have to go out again. I have to do something. Pretty Alice slammed her coffee bulb on the counter. Oh, for God's sake, Ever, can't you just stay home one night? Must you always be out in that ghastly clown suit running around annoying people? I'm... He stopped and clapped the jester's hat onto his auburn thatch with a tiny tingling of bells. He rose, rinsed out his coffee bulb at the spray, and put it into the dryer for a moment. I have to go. She didn't answer. The fax box was purring, and she pulled the sheet out, read it, threw it toward him on the counter. 
It's about you, of course. You're ridiculous. He read it quickly. It said the TikTok man was trying to locate him. He didn't care. He was going out to be late again. At the door, dredging for an exit line, he hurled back petulantly, Will you speak with inflection, too? Pretty Alice rolled her eyes heavenward. You're ridiculous. The harlequin stalked out, slamming the door, which sighed shut softly and locked itself. There was a gentle knock, and pretty Alice got up with an exhalation of exasperated breath and opened the door. He stood there. I'll be back around 10.30, okay? She pulled a rueful face. Why do you tell me that? Why? You know you'll be late. You know it. You're always late. Why do you tell me these dumb things? She closed the door. On the other side, the harlequin nodded to himself. She's right. She's always right. I'll be late. I'm always late. Why do I tell her these dumb things? He shrugged again and went off to be late once more. He had fired off the firecracker rockets that said, I will attend the 115th Annual International Medical Association Invocation at 8 o'clock p.m. precisely. I do hope you will all be able to join me. The words had burned in the sky, and of course the authorities were there, lying in wait for him. They assumed, naturally, that he would be late. He arrived twenty minutes early, while they were setting up the spider webs to trap and hold him. Blowing a large bullhorn, he frightened and unnerved them so, their own moisturized encirclement webs sucked closed, and they were hauled up, kicking and shrieking high above the amphitheater's floor. The harlequin laughed and laughed and apologized profusely. The physicians, gathered in solemn conclave, roared with laughter and accepted the harlequin's apologies with exaggerated bowing and posturing, and a merry time was had by all. Who thought the harlequin was a regular foofara in fancy pants? All that is but the authorities, who had been sent out by the office of the TikTok man. They hung there like so much dockside cargo, hauled up above the floor of the amphitheater in a most unseemly fashion. In another part of the same city where the Harlequin carried on his activities, totally unrelated in every way to what concerns us here, save that it illustrates the TikTok man's power and import, a man named Marshall Delahanty received his turnoff notice from the TikTok man's office. His wife received the notification from the gray-suited Minnie who delivered it, with the traditional look of sorrow plastered hideously across his face. She knew what it was, even without unsealing it. It was a bill of due of immediate recognition to everyone these days. She gasped and held it as though it were a glass slide tinged with botulism and prayed it was not for her. Let it be for Marsh, she thought brutally realistically, or one of the kids, but not for me. Please, dear God, not for me. And then she opened it. And it was for Marsh, and she was at one and the same time horrified and relieved. The next trooper in line had caught the bullet. Marshall, she screamed. Marshall, termination. Marshall, oh my God. Marshall, what do we do? What do we do? Marshall, oh my God. Marshall. And in their home that night was the sound of tearing paper and fear, and the stink of madness went up the flue, and there was nothing, absolutely nothing they can do about it. But Marshall Delahanty tried to run, and early the next day, when turnoff time came, he was deep in the Canadian forest, 200 miles away, and the office of the TikTok man blanked his cardio plate. And Marshal Delahanty keeled over, running, and his heart stopped, and the blood dried up on its way to his brain, and he was dead, that's all.
One light went out on the sector map in the office of the master timekeeper, while notification was entered for fax reproduction, and Georgette Delahanty's name was entered on the dole rolls till she could remarry. Which is the end of the footnote, and all the point that need be made, except don't laugh, because that is what would happen to the Harlequin if ever the TikTok man found out his real name. It isn't funny. The shopping level of the city was thronged with the Thursday colors of the buyers, women in canary yellow chitons and men in pseudo-Tyrolean outfits that were jade and leather and fit very tightly save for the balloon pants. When the Harlequin appeared on the still-being-constructed shell of the new efficiency shopping center, his bullhorn to his elfishly laughing lips, everyone pointed and stared, and he berated them. Why let them order you about? Why let them tell you to hurry and scurry like ants or maggots? Take your time. Saunter a while. Enjoy the sunshine. Enjoy the breeze. Let life carry you at your own pace. Don't be slaves of time. It's a hell of a way to die. Slowly, by degrees. Down with the TikTok man. Who's the nut? Most of the shoppers wanted to know. Who's the nut? Oh, wow. I'm going to be late. I got to run and the construction gang at the shopping center received an urgent order for the office of the master timekeeper that the dangerous criminal known as the Harlequin was atop their spire, and their aid was urgently needed in apprehending him. The work crew said no, they would lose time on their construction schedule, but the TikTok man managed to pull the proper threads of governmental webbing, and they were told to cease work and catch that nitwit up there on the spire up there with the bullhorn. So a dozen and more burly workers began climbing into their construction platforms, releasing the A-gray plates, and rising towards the Harlequin. After the debacle, in which, through the Harlequin's attention to personal safety, no one was seriously injured, the workers tried to reassemble and assault him again, but it was too late. He had vanished. It had attracted quite a crowd, however, and the shopping cycle was thrown off by hours, simply hours. The purchasing needs of the system were therefore falling behind, and so measures were taken to accelerate the cycle for the rest of the day, but it got bogged down and speeded up, and they sold too many float valves, and not nearly enough wagglers, which meant that the poply ratio was off, which made it necessary to rush cases and cases of spoiling smasho to stores that usually needed a case only every three or four hours, and the shipments were bollocked, the transshipments were misrouted, and in the end, even the swizzleskid industries felt it. Don't come back till you have him, the TikTokman said, very quietly, very sincerely, extremely dangerously. They used dogs, they used probes, they used cardioplate cross-offs, they used teepers, they used bribery, they used stick tights, they used intimidation, they used torment, they used torture, they used finks, they used cops, they used search and seizure, they used phaleron, they used betterment incentive, they used fingerprints, they used the Bertillon system, they used cunning, they used guile, they used treachery, they used Raoul Mitgong, but he didn't help much, they used applied physics, they used techniques of criminology, and what the hell? They caught him. After all, his name was Everett C. Marm, and he wasn't much to begin with, except a man who had no sense of time. Repent, Harlequin, said the TikTok man. Get stuffed, the Harlequin replied, sneering. You've been late a total of 63 years, 5 months, 3 weeks, 2 days, 12 hours, 41 minutes, 59 seconds, .03611 microseconds. You've used up everything you can and more. I'm going to turn you off. 
Scare someone else. I'd rather be dead than live in a dumb world with a boogeyman like you. It's my job. You're full of it. You're a tyrant. You have no right to order people around and kill them if they show up late. You can't adjust. You can't fit in. Unstrap me and I'll fit my fist into your mouth. You're a nonconformist. I, that didn't used to be a felony. It is now. Live in the world around you. I hate it. It's a terrible world. Not everyone thinks so. Most people enjoy order. I don't, and most people I know don't. That's not true. How do you think we caught you? I'm not really interested. A girl named Pretty Alice told us who you were. That's a lie. It's true. You unnerve her. She wants to belong. She wants to conform. I'm going to turn you off. Then do it already and stop arguing with me. I'm not going to turn you off. You're an idiot. Repent, Harlequin, said the TikTok man. Get stuffed. So they sent him to Coventry. And in Coventry, they worked him over. It was just like what they did to Winston Smith in 1984, which was a book none of them knew about, but the techniques are really quite ancient. So they did it to Everett C. Marm, and one day, quite a long time later, the Harlequin appeared on the communications web, appearing elfin and dimpled and bright-eyed and not at all brainwashed, and he said he had been wrong, that it was a good and a very good thing indeed to belong and to be right on time, hippo, and away we go. And everyone stared up at him on the public screens that covered an, an entire city block. And they said to him themselves, well, you see, he was just a nut after all. And if that's the way the system is run, then let's do it that way. Because it doesn't pay to fight City Hall, or in this case, uh, the TikTok man. So Everett C. Marm was destroyed, which is a loss because of what Thoreau said earlier. But you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. And in every revolution, a few die who shouldn't. But they have to because that's the way it happens. And if you make only a little change, then it seems to be worthwhile. Or, to make the point lucidly, Uh, excuse me, sir, I uh, don't know how to uh, tell you this, but the, you were three minutes late. The schedule is a little, um, a little bit off. He grinned sheepishly. That's ridiculous, murmured the TikTok man behind his mask. Check your watch. And then he went into his office going... So there you go. Powerless as Everett Marm. Essential as the Harlequin. One character powerful enough to weasel its way into the system and apparently fester and destroy it from within eventually. So... Uh, that is the wow fireworks cool and that's essentially the same thing going on in Dr. Sleepless and I'm also getting a transmet vibe from this with uh, Sleepless and his nurse companion reminds me a lot of Spider and the Filthy Assistants anyway it, it's, it's a, an essential read hopefully the art will improve so where else are you going to hear stuff like that? But on bullpen bulletins. You don't hear it on around comics. That's for damn sure. And that's probably why they have like 10 times the, the listeners we have. But uh, nevertheless, nothing ventured, nothing gained, right? So I hope you enjoyed that. Let's return to previews. Some other things of note. On page 331 from Picture Box, a fantastic company. Only the best stuff comes out of Picture Box. Brian Chippendale 
one of the Fort Thunder boys, drummer for Lightning Bolt, has another graphic novel. This one's been a long time coming. It was solicited a while back, and then, for whatever reason, fell off the uh, solicits. I got credited for it, and now it's back again. It's the Maggots graphic novel. 334 pages, black and white, 5 by 7 for twenty one ninety five. DCBS has it for significantly less. And if you're a regular listener of this mess, you know I've talked about his ninja graphic novel before and the fact that he's probably one of the greatest living cartoonists, along with Matt Brinkman, another Fort Thunder alumni. Chippendale is incredible. His artwork is as manic and scattershot and immediate and disturbing and volatile as his drumming. The guy is a force to be reckoned with. If you have a couple extra bucks, splurge and pick up the Ninja Graphic novel. It's a huge tome. I've talked about it here before, but I'm just going to reiterate a little bit. Chippendale is amazing. I can drop superlatives on his ass until the end of time, and it will never do justice to his work. He's fantastic. You can tell by the cover if you are looking at your previews along with me, that he's not what you would expect if you are fed a steady diet of mainstream comic book work. He is very much against the grain, very alternative. I guess the word underground applies. He's a definite stream of consciousness type. The emotion in the line is staggering. It's it's like I said, very, very spur the moment very immediate and it's perfect crystallization of who he is as a person because nothing is forced nothing's deliberate it's all bam right on the page and it's beautiful beautiful stuff so uh invest in this graphic novel the copy reads chippendale's dense line work nearly vibrates off the page very true The story concerns a group of characters living in a place called Fort Thunder. There's that word again. Check it. Do a Google search for Fort Thunder. If you want cutting-edge music, graphics, illustration, whatever, check out Fort Thunder. They are a force to be reckoned with. Wandering around and discovering little holes in their universe, they battle a capitalist landlord, eat peanut butter sandwiches, and embark on adventures somewhere between dirt punk and epic cosmic science fiction. Say no more. I'm sure it will be another tour de force like Ninja, another book that deserves your attention. All the picture box books are excellent, but unfortunately, I can't pick up them all, and I don't think anyone could. Maybe if that's all you ordered, but I need my Marvel as well as my alternative stuff. I need a a balanced diet, so to speak. There's room for everything. Well, I think that's enough for this time around. Bullpen 32 in the can. Thank you very much to Equinox, KY Comic Guy, Thunderhead Jones, Daryl, Too Many Damn Numbers, Laser Raw, Big Largeness, for making this a hell of a lot easier for me by sending in those awesome Buzzline messages. And if you have a concern or if you'd like to complain about my reading, as it were, of Ellison's Repent Harlequin, jump on the buzz line and let yourself be heard. Like I said, everybody who calls will be on the show. I recently talked to David. As I record this, it's Sunday morning, so the show is pretty much in the in the shitter for this year. Uh, he was in a cab with Dave Wachter. Dan, a.k.a. Papercut, Chip, uh, 
Andy Jewett, and uh, they sounded like they were having a hell of a time. Unfortunately, none of the audio I recorded came out very well. I mean, there was the typical Skype problems and all that other bullshit. But I did manage to salvage this wonderful little bit of audio. It's Dave Wachter serenading me as only Dave Wachter can. Dig this. It doesn't really matter <laughs> if you sing left or right. It doesn't really matter if you like day or night. It doesn't really matter if you like black or white because I still don't like you. <laughs> How was that? So there you go. Only on Bullpen Bulletins. Thanks for hanging out with me for uh, two hours and change. And thanks to David for checking in before he flew off. And I'm sure he will regale us with many, many, many stories about Wizard World Chicago 2007 while I cry in my beer. So join us next time. And we're going to get the next one out fairly quickly because information gets stale and we don't want to ferment too much. So join us next time for Vince B and nobody else. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Where, where you have the Constitution having an explicit provision that the writ of habeas corpus cannot be suspended except rebellion or invasion. And you have the Supreme Court saying that habeas corpus rights apply to Guantanamo detainees aliens in Guantanamo after an elaborate discussion as to why, how can the uh, statutory uh, taking of habeas corpus when there's an express constitutional provision that it can't be suspended and an explicit Supreme Court holding that it applies to Guantanamo alien detainees? Um, a, a couple of things, Senator. I, I, I believe that the Supreme Court case you're referring to dealt only with the statutory right to habeas, not the constitutional right to habeas. Well, you're not right about that. It's, it's plain on its face. They're talking about the constitutional right to habeas corpus. They talk about habeas corpus uh, being guaranteed by the Constitution, except in cases of invasion and rebellion. And, and they and talk the, about John at Running Bean and the Magna Carta and the doctrine being embedded in the Constitution. So the fact that they may have talked about the constitutional right to habeas doesn't mean that the decision dealt with the constitutional right to habeas. The fact that the Constitution, again, there's no express grant of habeas in the Constitution. There's a prohibition against taking it away. But uh, there's, it's never been the case. I'm not aware of the Supreme Court. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Constitution says you can't take it away, except in case of rebellion and invasion. Doesn't that mean you have the right of habeas? Career in the back room by Democratic presidential candidate Ohio Congressman Dennis Kucinich. Only moments ago, he announced he's introducing articles of impeachment against the vice president Dick Cheney. Dennis Kucinich is joining us from Capitol Hill right now. Thomas, th
some questions. Uh, why the vice president? Uh, if you're so concerned about the war as opposed to the commander in chief, that would be the president. Well, the uh, vice president had a singular responsibility in whipping up public sentiment to lay the groundwork for a war against Iraq on false pretenses. And the articles are intended to cover that. And there's another practical uh, reason, well, and that is that if uh, someone was to aim at impeaching the president, uh, then Mr. Cheney would become the president. I don't think that this country could tolerate two consecutive impeachments. So I think that the evidence is there to focus on the vice president. That's the appropriate place to begin. And that's what I've done today in filing House Resolution 333. A lot of uh, your critical, let me suggest, it's a political stunt due to the fact that the Speaker Nancy Pelosi has ruled out impeachment. The Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid says that's not on his agenda. Do you think you have enough votes to really get this out of the committee? Uh, I think that uh, people in Congress are about to find out that all over the United States, citizens have been asking questions, what kind of government do we have? And why isn't someone stepping forward to challenge the conduct of this vice president? And so, my people are asking me today, they want to stand behind me. I think that there are millions of Americans who believe that it is time to raise this issue. The reason I did it now is because the vice president is beating the same drums of war against Iran. And he's beating against Iraq under false pretenses, and he's doing it all over again against Iran. The same false pretenses. And I say that it's time to stand up to that. Our country couldn't afford this last one. We sure can't afford to go into another one. And somebody has to challenge the conduct of this vice president. And that's what I've done today. high crimes and misdemeanors. That's a high threshold. Specifically, explain to our viewers what your articles, you have three articles of impeachment, but what they're alleging. Well, the first article, and I quote, says that he fabricated a threat of Iraqi weapons of mass destruction to justify the use of the United, States, our, the United States Armed Forces against the nation of, of Iraq. And the second article points to the fact that uh, he fabricated a connection between uh, uh, the government of Iraq and Al-Qaeda and used that to justify war. And the third article says that he's uh, openly threatening aggressive war against Iran, which is a violation of Article 6 of our Constitution and a violation of Article 2, Section 4 of the UN Charter. We're sitting outside uh, the, the classroom where we go in, and I saw an airplane hit the tower. I thought the TV was obviously on, and I, I used to fly myself, and I said, there's one terrible bug. And uh, I said, it must have been a horrible accident. But I was just off there, and that's how I'm thinking about it. No way to George Bush was told about the second time when he was inside the classroom. So he just heard me describe seeing the first plane crash on a television ad. But that's impossible. No one saw the first plane crash on TV on September 11, because the videotape of it didn't surface until the next day. So how could George Bush have seen what he said he saw?